1: thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with, while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower.
2: Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower. My show is called Human Behavior, What a Trip, and we're going to have a wonderful trip today with, with an interesting man. His name is Donald Mann, and uh, he has a master's uh, in science education and biochemistry, and uh, he received that degree from uh, East Carolina University in Greenville, Carolina. And uh, one of his passions is the whole issue of mind control, which, of course, has all different kinds of connotations and we'll get to many of them, I'm sure. So Donald Mann, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's delightful to be here.
2: My pleasure. So, uh, why don't we begin with you telling, uh, me and, and the audience, uh, what, how you were as a kid and what you were interested in and the, the, uh, the trail you took ending to or beginning to be a, um, Mind control enthusiast.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, I guess the uh, – uh, started off for me was uh, my dad was killed in Korea when I was three years old. Oh, wow. And uh, so that led to some interesting issues. I was the oldest of uh, three and then four boys, and uh, so I was always sort of the one in charge, having to come up okay. with the answers. Uh-huh. And uh, we lived near the woods when I grew up. And so the uh, direction for my mother was bring them all back alive and
2: intact. It's almost as though he, she was uh, thinking about her husband, your father at the time, too.
3: Well, it uh, could have been, but it was yeah. more about just being in the woods, little boys and, and uh, yeah. keeping track of things. So that gave me a sense of responsibility and accountability. huh. And uh, then later on, I ended up with a draft number of 12 And uh, with my chemistry degrees, went into the Air Force.
2: Uh, What what year did you go into the Air Force? Uh,
3: That must have been long, about uh, 78 or so.
2: Okay. And what was your job in the Air Force? What did you do? Well, I was
3: was an aircraft maintenance officer, which means that uh, I learned how to fix airplanes 2,000 at a time.
2: Wow. And
3: and that I walked into an organization uh, where I was responsible for 600 people almost right away.
2: Wow. Sounds to me it's pretty... uh chaotic in some ways to have to be um, conducting uh, affairs with 600 people at one time. Well, it was
3: certainly was busy and was active in a very intense environment to meet the flight uh-huh. schedule, and, and that's yeah. sort of what I learned to in the military environment is you have to work with the people you get. You have a mission yes. to accomplish, and you don't have the luxury of picking different people. You're going to have to work with what you got and get it done anyway. Yes, and so that's where, uh, I trans, then from there I transitioned into a civilian life and, uh, industry and, uh, ended up working in high technology arenas. And before long I got to be known as a corporate troubleshooter, going around the different organizations and, uh, changing the organization and fixing them, making them perform.
2: Yes. So before you go on, what kind of high tech stuff did you do as a, as a
3: civilian? Well, we did, we did materials technology, some of the, the things like Kevlar Vest that you see today.
4: Uh huh.
5: Um,
3: things that uh, have to do with especially metal, metals and ceramics, things like the uh, tiles on the space shuttle,
4: uh-huh. another
3: one of those things, electronic systems, for example, missile guidance systems, a wide variety of high-technology, state-of-the-art areas that's uh, really run and governed by scientists and engineers who, are, with any particular area, they're the only ones on the planet who know what they're doing and what the areas are.
2: I see. So in some ways, your job in the uh, Air Force was similar to the job of the high-tech civilian job.
3: Right. It, it, it yeah. transitioned very well into terms of organizing and working with lots of people
2: uh-huh. and
3: really making sure they had the direction, support, and guidance they need to be successful.
2: Yes. So then as a corporate troubleshooter, what kinds of things are you troubleshooting?
3: Well, it was usually with manufacturing, uh, high technology areas, particularly where uh, they all translated into the outward effects of uh, low sales, uh-huh. Or product quality issues were the chief ones that would translate that to. So, I, I you know, poor sales had to do with how you're interfacing with the customer. And yes. of course, product quality had to do how well you're imagining the technology to make the products and services we were doing.
2: Right. So, you could have a great product, but if the sales people were lousy, then the sales um, weren't very good.
3: Right. And so, yeah, so uh, even that, I was back working with sales people. And in the whole area of high technology, was rather specialized. You know, it took years to develop people so your normal approach wasn't to go in and fire everybody, it was to try to get them to work and be successful uh, with what you
2: had. And how did you, in the the early part of this uh, process for you, what did you do to try to get people to be more effective? Well actually
3: what I discovered was maybe my natural style was somewhat helpful but I would be rather direct, but really recognizing, it really wasn't until later on that I recognized that people, where they were in having a problem, their first response was fear. And I watched what happened when people got into fear.
4: Uh-huh. They
3: couldn't think. They weren't creative. They would find fault with other people. Uh, they uh, uh, weren't anything for a high-technology arena where you had to create things all the time. You know, everything was had never been done before.
2: Okay, so when you talk about fear, the way I would talk about it as, as a psychotherapist in private practice uh, a lot of these people were having very high anxiety,
3: very very high anxiety for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, and and uh, so my job was primarily, uh, I always knew that I had to get them to succeed. It wasn't about me, right? Yes. I wasn't the the person on the lab or in the bench, or at the machine,
4: right?
3: I was creating the environment for them, and what I found out that I was, or after looking back at it, uh, what I did was create positive, success-oriented environments. Where people was okay to make mistakes, yeah. And as long as you talked about what was going on and were realistic about it, then we would work our way through it.
2: I see. So basically, you had a nice, uh, warm way of talking with these people. So when they were doing something wrong, you weren't uh, berating them or demeaning them. You were just helping them get better.
3: Well, I can't say that I was ever accused of being nice and warm.
2: But you I weren't cruel more... or sadistic.
3: No, I would. I would say I was direct. Yeah. and said, you guys are it, Yeah. now you guys are going to produce, you claim you're good, let's see you get good.
2: And how did you help them get good?
3: Well, primarily the way that I did it yeah. uh, was uh, for myself was to keep myself out of fear. That was the chief one because, of course, if I'm the leader in creating the environment for them, if my, I'm filled with, as you would say, high anxiety or fear, yeah. and I'm all the time walking around the survival response, then fear is highly contagious, if so, you're, got, you're in anxiety and fear, the people yeah. can read it right away, and they're going to respond in that same level of intensity and fear. So, how so my did first you, goal was to keep from yeah. getting myself upset.
2: Right. So how did you, inside you, uh, how, what did you do to lower your anxiety and fear? What kinds of things did you figure out to do?
3: Well, it's not really what I figured out to do. It was more or less my natural habits. What uh, I Also in the uh, part-time, what I did in the evenings, I was involved in Christian ministry and a variety of things. And I kept studying uh-huh. the Bible and praying and asking God for wisdom and guidance. Uh-huh. And what I discovered was over time, I was developing a self-identity
4: uh-huh. that
3: knew I always had a backer behind me.
5: And that was God.
3: And that was God. And that really, one of the expressions I used and used to uh, cause a lot of people consternation, but they loved it uh-huh. after a while, was yeah. I would say things like, I thrive on chaos, confusion, and hostility, and today is a great day.
2: Aha. Uh-huh. But, you, but you, when you were thriving on it, You were thriving in a way to help yourself and others not have such fear and anxiety.
3: Right. That's because the first thing for me was to recognize that that's what my purpose is. I'm to make the world a better place, Uh to make situations better, and that I'm not looking for things that are organized, running, and stable. I figured out very early, I guess, in life that the more confusion and chaos I really enjoy When it's steady state running every day the same, that bores me to tears.
2: So, uh, when you liked a certain amount of chaos and you got boredom with the, uh, usual, th- was this part of you when you were a little kid even, when you were three and four and five and six?
3: Uh, well, I can't really remember what I was doing at three and four and five and six. I was always involved in, you know, I was uh, the kid that had the chemistry set and the erector set, was building uh-huh. model airplanes and, and, yeah. uh, building and doing things of that nature, was into yeah. sports. So I was, uh, uh, probably more, Um, uh, technology geeky oriented in today's language would be but i I was into sports and other things so i was just always looking and working and inquisitive and and being part of things
2: yeah just for a brief aside which might be useful uh what kind of sports were you in in high school oh
3: football football was the thing i loved the most
2: and what position did you play
3: I uh, played linebacker and uh, offensive tackle were the two positions I played most often.
2: So you were a big, strong guy,
3: huh? Yeah, a big, strong guy, and I uh, still work out, still keep in shape.
2: Yeah. So, uh, which did you like better, linebacker or uh, offensive tackle?
3: You know, it. it uh, I, I kept getting switched back and forth. I enjoyed both of them. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed making the plays happen, and yes. I enjoyed stopping the plays.
2: Yeah, which one did you like better if you had to choose one? I
3: think if I had to choose, I think I enjoyed being a linebacker better.
2: Yeah, I figured. I, got, I think most people who like linebacker like to uh, smash into people <laughs> and tackle them and stuff.
3: Yeah, but, you know, go the the uh, the issue is you got to get through a lot of people to get to the person carrying the ball. Yes. And right? so it's a matter, of, actually, it's not of hitting them. It's, it's finding a way around them and then yeah. hitting the person that you want.
2: Yeah, but in the process, you had a lot of contact with.
3: Oh, absolutely, a lot of contact in what you're doing, which is almost the opposite when you're talking about football of of an offensive lineman. Your job is to hit people.
2: Yes. Okay, so now if we fast forward, at what age in your development so far were you aware of um, how you could start helping people uh, work more effectively and not be so anxious? What age were you at that point? Do you remember?
3: Well, I think it was – um, as a scientist engineer type yeah. what what I just and I was working with other scientist engineer type people and yeah. uh, so when we just stepped focused on the problem and believing that there were answers for it, it could be done as long as we believed it could be done we would find the ways to do it it's sort of the dogged determination that there are answers to be had
4: uh-huh. and,
3: and so that was sort of the core basis of everything you know, and, and that uh uh, you can discover the things in God's creation, how things work, and you can apply and manage them. And that was sort of a general attitude, and primarily what I did most of the time with the teams of people I led was keep them from getting mad at each other.
2: Uh-huh. And so when they got mad at each other, what would you, in essence, kind of do? What would, what would be your strategy?
3: Well, my typical strategy was to get back to the facts, recognize uh-huh. what happened, what went wrong, and... Uh, you know, I looked at all everything as a system failure. I wasn't about to point fingers. I said, okay, the system failed somehow to get to this condition. What do we got to do to change it? You know, it's, it's, it's fruitless to try to, to find things where the system itself is hurting you. Yeah. And, and instead, um, put things in place, that allow people to work together or talk to each other where they can talk intelligently uh, about the facts and the situation and not be so concerned about what your personal feelings are or how you apply with the facts, you not keep them out of becoming defensive about what's going on
2: yes, and when you did that, I assumed that they liked that approach that you had
3: well the uh, uh, it worked the uh, what i what tended to happen for me was was that uh, as I would move from job to job and get promoted, I yeah. would typically have people come to me as I was getting ready to leave, you know, so we didn't like you but we sure can't imagine life without you.
5: Yeah, okay.
3: And that was pretty much typical of wherever I went because I wasn't afraid to deal with issues, wasn't afraid to get people in there to discover what things are, find ways to work them out. Um, I wasn't going to, uh, you know, I'm a performance-oriented kind of person, so here's the facts, what's going on, and the facts we have that we don't like them. How are we going to change what's going on?
2: Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take a, Commercial break. We'll come back in about a minute or a minute and a half and we'll continue where we left off.
0: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111.
0: DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557.
1: Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. One, one.
0: Sports Psychology Sociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818 707 4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to PhD at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip.
2: Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower. And my guest is Donald Mann, and uh, we're going to talk about mind control. We have been really been leading up to it, but before we go on, I want to tell you about his book and his website. So Donald Mann has a book out by the title of, OK, God, Now What? And that you can find in your bookstores or maybe uh, Amazon.com. And um, he also has a website, if you want to check out his website. It's okay God now what dot com and again his name is Donald Mann okay Donald back to the show so okay. uh, you were talking about uh, you have a matter of fact way of dealing with people and helping them get to the core of what they have to do at least within the context of their jobs and that it's worked well for you you've, you've apparently uh, honed a style and a way in which you get them to do. What you want them to do, but you don't do it in a, in a in a negative way. You do it in a way that's helpful for them.
3: Well, and I get- think part of my background as a scientist and then as a businessman, and a business leader, you know, is when I started to get promoted, it became all about what I used to say, bringing in the bags of gold. Uh-huh. I had pro- I had profit and performance objectives that I had to meet, and if I didn't meet them, I would either be fired or have a lot more help than I ever wanted. And I just communicated that to the team. You know, here's the facts. Here's what we got to do. Now let's start looking at what it takes to make that happen and what are the issues that, uh, to uh, stop that in some way and deal with them and work the issues rather than pretend they're not something we can manage. You know, okay. in, the, in, the, in the language of business, that would be risk matiga- mitigation and risk management.
2: Uh huh. So as I was hearing you in your last paragraph or two, it seemed to me that the way you are using the term mind control. Is how you want to help these employees of yours to uh, be able to be very focused and do the best they can do at the job they have to do.
3: Right. Or in the in the areas we were dealing with, you know, defense products and space products, we had to have answers. It wasn't yes. like the best is is okay if it's not good enough. We had to have answers. And so there's a little bit of uh, push and enthusiasm in terms of of what you're doing because a lot of things are on the line if you don't succeed uh-huh. and one of the things I discovered in my approach and style was uh, you know I sort of looked at myself as okay I'm here to make the world a better place problems and challenges are what I'm made to solve and fix and as I grew grew from being a, a lab rat somebody doing the work to managing others I recognized that I had to get them to do the work and I didn't have the language that I have now to describe what I was doing, but in general it was, okay, here's the facts, let's deal with them, how can we solve them and move forward and and meet these objectives. Always keep the vision in mind of what it is we're trying to accomplish and what the issues are with doing it. And that seemed to work pretty well for me. Uh, It worked so well that I came into work one day and my boss uh, walked in. I was pretty happy. Things were going well. And uh, my boss sat me down and I got what I learned to call the assignment from hell, Yes. The, the uh, as, uh, as I walked out the door, another vice president met me in the hallway with these encouraging words. Others have tried to turn that plan around. Better men than you, and they all failed. So lo- so long has been nice knowing you.
2: So when you heard that, what was your reaction, and what did you do about it?
3: Well, my first reaction with that was, uh, "Okay, Lord, we can do this." And I know this is a it's not going to be easy because others better than me have failed. But so. My first response was was that uh, there was a lot of issues with it. It drove me to my knees. I actually spent a lot more time in prayer. Uh-huh. And the issue was, again, high technology. All the scientist engineers that were there doing this, they were the only ones on the planet who understood what they were doing, what the technology was. Yeah. They were all locked in fear and denial, anxiety, fault-finding. And uh, I had to get them out. And whatever I did, I couldn't drive them into more anxiety and fear.
4: Yeah.
3: And so what I did was, was – uh, uh, what I didn't realize I was doing for myself, I knew that I couldn't portray any anxiety to them, yet I had to realistically look at the facts. Yes. And, and so what I did for myself was I found myself – I would make sure I read a couple of chapters of Bible, you know, a day uh-huh. and spent an hour or so in prayer about things to keep myself. And what was happening was my, my self-identity in Christ was growing stronger, which uh-huh. is a point of great confidence that you can have resources – internal resources to deal with what's around you and I communicated that not so much in in uh, less spiritual terms but in terms of practical terms how I worked with the people and we discovered it took about six months of creating a positive success-oriented environment where you expose the challenges you look at them you expose the weak points you deal with them it took about six months for these people before they started making decisions that were high-quality and high-caliber type decisions
4: and, and then what did it was the
3: advantage of just continuing working the process. And in about six years' time, that same group who were going to fail, uh, went to, uh, $500 million in sales, which was a major accomplishment with the same people.
2: Yes. So, um, you may have already said this, but I'm trying to figure it out in a simpler way for my brain and maybe some other people's brains to get this. So, um, after six months of, uh, having an assignment from hell and, and asking Lord, your Lord God, to uh, help you out, things came around. But what I'm wondering is, uh, day, to, day to day or even hour by hour, what did you have these uh, employees doing that uh, after six months got done? In other words, they oh, couldn't just. basically, yeah.
3: what I did was remember these are these are high caliber, high, highly talented people, very yeah. professional in what they're doing. And so I just made sure, number one, that they had the resources that they needed to do that we could we could get for them. And number two, Uh made sure they communicated with each other. And number three, they always had the vision in mind we're working on. And number four, we constantly reviewed and challenged what it was that could hinder our accomplishment. You know, that would include day-to-day doing experiments and coming up with answers that, you know, you're all the time doing experiments and studies and seeing what happens. And, you know, most of the times, they don't come up with your answers. So what can you do next? Forming a lot more cl- uh, collaboration among the people, and if I found somebody wasn't collaborating with others when they could, then I was pretty merciless on saying you got to collaborate, and making sure they did. And so uh, they understood we were going to work on these things, and they they knew this. You know, was, I was one of the first guys that came in, and at, at the end of the workday, we hadn't accomplished what we needed to. We stayed that day until we did. It didn't take yes. many days of doing that before they got to realize you know, over time they just started to say, you know, we're going to have to put in the effort, we're going to have to find ways to work together, and together we're smarter than individually. And so it, it was, like I say, it took about six months. Not everything was smooth by then, but they started yeah. to understand they had to work a different way, and that's what started to turn us around.
2: Okay, so when we take a look at the collaboration part for a moment, I would imagine there's at least two kinds of collaboration here. One is where they're talking about, the specifics of what they want to accomplish as engineers, and then there's the other part, the collaboration part, where they're talking about each, talking about uh, issues among each other, that have to do with uh, personal feelings, friendships, or lack of friendships. Do you follow what I mean?
3: Yes. The well, there was uh, like I say, they were already in a lot of animosity and fault finding when I showed up there. Yeah. Uh, so they weren't working well together. Yes. You know, and, and my attitude was, generally, okay, lay all that other stuff aside. Focus yeah. on the task at hand.
4: Yeah.
3: Okay, and work the task. Do the things that you guys know how to do. Work the task and work together. And the only time I came down hard was when somebody didn't share information or somebody didn't tell what a, a concern or issue was. Yeah. Or didn't fully disclose what the what was going on. Other than that, it was, a, you know, it was, was uh, uh, pretty open and we had lots of collaboration-type meetings where people were interfacing with each other, and, and you know, the uh, not. I went. I didn't have any problem saying, "Okay, if uh, you're a little bit emotional on that right now, then uh, we got two choices: you can sit there and no longer have your brain work, or you can focus on the problem at hand and get going. And by the way, we're going to sit here until we get going."
2: Yeah. You know. So. so uh, we- yes. So um, sometimes this is more common, I think, in college and high school but um, with football teams sometimes the coach will uh, uh, take them all to a bowling alley and they bowl for a few hours and that supposedly is going to help them have more um, camaraderie and feel closer to each other did you do anything like that with these guys? Uh,
3: no we didn't do any of that kind of stuff The number yeah. one I was working these guys plenty plenty anyway and yeah. their family time was more important yeah. um, what I've discovered for myself uh, is that team building exercises are nice, but they don 't translate directly to the to the workplace as much as having specific things they 're working on in yeah. the workplace where the where the goals are tangible in other words, you know for them these guys I explained to them when when I went to that particular operation if we don 't succeed, the plant's going to be sold, and you guys are all going to lose your jobs
2: that's a big uh, right uh,
3: and i can 't tell you whether i'll lose my job or not, but i guarantee you you guys will use. Your jobs lose your yeah. jobs,
2: yeah. and I'm here to change that. Right? And they uh, and they went along with the program and got better after. Well, yeah, like
3: that? I say, it took a while. They they yeah. didn't necessarily believe that. Yes. Um. And it took a while for them to understand those kinds of issues because we had the technical side and, of course, the financial side as a business entity. Yes. And and uh, but again, for me, the thing that I discovered was was that my ability to work with people under this kind of situation environment and get top performers performed to the top level all depended upon my ability to be confident in myself and really that God was going to help me. Uh huh. And so I spent a lot of time and effort making... I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but I did. I spent make sure a lot of my time, you know, my private time, was in the scriptures and in Uh prayer about the situation and confidence that I knew I was going to get answers.
2: Yes. And did any uh, of these... People who were working for you, did they uh, want to join you with uh, reading the Bible and all that stuff?
3: No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, first of all, I didn't invite them. I was already working, you know, a twenty-hour day, uh-huh. and my Bible time was really spent first thing in the morning, and last thing at night, and mostly in a motel room. So that wasn't that kind of opportunity that that we had for that. Other than just talking about values. And treating each other fairly and honestly. You know, I didn't lay any yeah. scriptures, say we're going to do this because of this, that kind of thing. Uh, they were all, they were all good people. And, uh, you know, we shared general hard work, common values. And, uh, they just needed to understand that they were yeah. capable. And I, I have see. no doubt that I probably drove many of them to prayer, but I wasn't something that I told them to go do.
2: I see. And so you were literally having four hours a night of sleep?
3: Uh,
2: four to six was my normal. Yeah.
3: And then i come home on the weekends and sleep for the whole – all day Saturday and then turn right back again and go again Monday.
2: And during this time, were you married and did you have kids?
3: Yes, I was married and had kids, and I uh, spent a lot of time with my family when I was home. Yeah. And uh, so – but the deal, what they gave me was I could sleep at least till noon on uh, Saturday, and that would pretty well accomplish catching me up for the week.
2: I see. Well, that's good for you. Yeah. So uh, I know for myself and perhaps for the general public, when they hear the term mind control – They're thinking of it in uh, either uh, um, somebody who's brainwashing somebody or um, however it might be. But but that wasn't anything that you were doing. Well, yes
3: and no. I've I've learned to Um. discover that that, uh, uh, the way that we work as human beings, you're constantly receiving information from all the senses that you have 24-7. Yes, and they're going into your subconscious mind, whether you're aware of it or not. Yes, and whatever the repetition of that information is, it builds into you. And since we operate ninety-five percent by the subconscious mind and only about five percent cognitive, as uh-huh. it gets put into your subconscious mind, that becomes the way you think. So if you aren't controlling your thinking, others are. Yes, and so, so that the, that yeah. uh, the whole concept of brainwashing. In a sense, you know, you see what's happened in in various things, for example, in the gulags and and that sort of thing, or in certain certain cults and groups. But you need to keep your mind focused on good, wholesome things. Yes. And science is discovering that the kinds of thoughts you have, the quality of your thoughts, determine the cellular structure and your health at the same time. Yes. And so if you don't control what's going on around you, then what will happen is is that you'll in this world where anxiety and stress and worry are common things placed on us all the time if you aren't building yourself in a different direction then you'll form what's called leaky neurons uh-huh and that's a neuron that with a cell wall structure is porous a good cell nucle- uh, neuron cell is more or less like smooth spaghetti you know it's going to be tight and and yeah. everything stays in the cell when it functions but a leaky neuron It's porous, like a piece of Swiss cheese or a sponge. And so every time a thought triggers a neuron, it leaks material into the bloodstream. Uh That bloodstream becomes a poison to your system. Now, what they've discovered is what makes the difference between a leaking neuron and a solid neuron is the quality of the thoughts that that neuron supports. Uh So if you are having a lot of anxiety, stress-ridden thoughts, the expression, I word myself sick, is actually technically very accurate. Uh-huh. because as you've triggered those worry thoughts through your system you've actually loaded your system down with toxins to the rest of the body and stressed your body so that you do feel sick and you are sick
2: and this is uh caused through the bloodstream
3: the the uh of course, your neurons, when they fire, when they're yeah. in your brain, yeah. the bloodstream gets to them. The, the material leaks out of the, of the leaky neurons into the bloodstream, and they act. it's just kind of like stomach acid. You know, if you've got stomach acids in your stomach, it's fine. But yes. so let it come out in indigestion or an ulcer, and it's a major problem. Yes. Well, the same thing happens for the contents inside the cell. The neural material, if it leaks out acts as a toxin or poison to the rest of the body and stresses it. Now your body has to go not only with all the things happening on with fear response, but at the same time having these chemicals going through your body that are attacking the rest of your system. Over time, this really pays a great burden on your immune system, which is where your health is controlled by.
2: Okay, so I have a question that's somewhat related. So I I don't know what the figures really are. I don't know how anyone really can know for sure. But supposedly for uh, men... Once they reach puberty through until they get to their nineties, they're having sexual fantasies every five minutes or so. Now, um it may be more it may be less than that, but how does this how does that come into the equation?
3: You know, I really don't know.
2: Okay, that, I don't know that, either. That's
3: not an area that I've spent a lot of time in other than being a man. Yes. And uh with the schedule and things to do and yeah. and uh uh my only response to that is, I haven't had the kind of free time where that's been a major driver for me that I'm aware of. Maybe I'm yeah. doing it all the time, but I'm not aware of it.
2: Well, the way the way I understand it works, uh, they'll have a man will have an, a, a sexual fantasy or thought, and then you know it goes away. Then it comes back, but they can uh, you know quickly see it and have it, and then dump it, and it comes back in whatever amount of time.
3: Oh, I guess the you know for for me as a as a Christian man, when yes. I have a. Uh, that kind of thought comes by I've trained yeah. I've controlled my mind I've developed thought responses I've trained my subconscious over time
4: yeah
3: so that if it isn't it is not a, a thought oriented toward my wife
4: uh-huh
3: that I reject it and replace it with things that are toward my wife such as what well uh, loving her or one of the things that I may have in response is if it's uh, I've discovered for me is that if I have see the secret to controlling your mind is is once you're aware that you've got a negative thought pattern going uh-huh. is to not try to ignore it, recognize that it's there, and replace it with something else. So for me, it may be to pray for that person, whoever yes. that you know, sexual thought happens to be, or an anger thought, or guess what they're doing, is to pray for them, bless them, and then put my my thinking pattern into a way that's more positive, successful, replacement therapy. So that, you know, it's the same thing that I tell people, for example, of fear of flight or anything else. Yes. When you get into the airplane... You start to, instead of worrying about your fears, recognize, okay, i got a fear, and I know that. If I work on this for about five or ten minutes, this fear will go away, and I'll start thinking about either how pretty the airplane is or Uh what I've got to do when I land or pray for the people around me to bless them so I'm feeling very positive and strong, helpful toward them. But what I'm doing is replacing the fear thoughts with different kinds of thoughts.
2: So using your style then for just regular passengers on an airplane who – are terribly uh, worried about the plane crashing, you would suggest they just focus on good thoughts and uh, not have to be worrying so much about Well, crashing.
3: the first thing I would say is, is is one of the techniques for mind control is to become aware that you're in a thinking pattern. Uh-huh. Okay? You know, like when you're talking back about sexual thoughts, when I recognize them in one of them and it's not toward my wife, then I recognize I've got to change it and I'll change by. Thinking about something else that's more positive and good yes. in the process. One of yeah. the things, the issues with 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 health is, and the word mental health is actually a stronger word to me than ever was, that these leaky neurons in your brain are produced by what would be considered unbiblical or immoral type thoughts.
4: Uh huh.
3: So that um, they haven't determined right now, they've determined that that's what they're linked to.
4: Yes.
3: And that if you want to have be a better health. Then yes. if the more moral your thoughts are, the more biblically endorsed the thoughts are, yes. then you'll produce solid neurons that, when you think the thoughts, okay. you'll think in a positive way about something.
2: All right, we're going to take a break, a second break, and then a final break, and we'll come back to leaky neurons and other issues. So we'll be back in about. A minute.
0: Real life solutions, Voice America, health and wellness.
1: Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111.
0: Defeatanxietynow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557.
1: Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money. Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111.
0: Sportpsychologysociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brouwer. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip!
2: Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan Brower. My show is... Human Behavior, what a trip. My guest is Donald Mann. And uh, before we go back to Donald, let me tell you about his book and website. His book is entitled, OK God, Now What? And his website is similar. It's okaygodnowwhat.com, So you can read his book and you can go to his website and find out more about what he does and how he does it. And uh, you may enjoy that. So, Donald, we're talking about... um, anxiety and ways in which to uh, minimize it and feel better. And it seems to me what you're saying is the way you go about doing it, it's more um, with uh, logic than just feeling. Well, one of
3: the, one of the issues is, is that what I've discovered from the recent sci- uh, scientific findings is, yeah. and this was a big change for me, it made a lot of sense, emotions are the result of your thoughts, words, and actions. So if you want to have a different emotion, and this happens all the time, you know, when somebody says, "Okay, I'm going to put on my happy face or my game face," yes, or I'm going to act pleasant to somebody, yes. and if you put in the, the whatever emotion you want, you put the right emotions in your head, yeah, you put the right words in your mouth and supporting actions, you will eventually feel the supporting the emotion that you want. So you don't have to be victim of those emotions, but you have to replace whatever your emotion is with different thinking. And and words and that will get you to change to different kinds of emotions, uh-huh. and so that the um, for me, you know, the happiness and the and the goal is always to win, right? Just to whatever yeah. you score. So, and this is pretty well what happens in terms of people in peak performance. If you look at a coach in the locker room in a game, you know, a team clearly under underperforming, not able to win against the other team. The coach goes in there; he's got 15 minutes. Yes, to change their thought about themselves, change their view of the world. Yes. And they're the same people, and they come out and they win games. We saw this happen with Michael Phelps during the Olympics. Michael right. told you that he went to the Olympics as an observer.
2: Yes.
3: He wasn't going to be a uh, – he wasn't looking to make gold medals. So his first race, he didn't even place. you
2: talking about the first time he was in the Olympics, you mean?
3: Yeah, uh, in 2012, his first race in, in the uh, just recent ones.
2: Oh, oh this, yeah, this, okay, yeah,
4: yeah.
3: Okay? He didn't yeah. even place in that. Yes. And it surprised everybody, including him. He did it again. And then you saw he had a two-day gap. And he yes. said uh, in an interview, I didn't prepare my body to perform at the level I need to perform to win gold medals here. Yes. So he, he knew he couldn't do anything for his body. But what he did do is he went in and went back, and he'd been a top performer. He knew how to think like a top performer, a lot of the mind programming that goes on with that. And he recalled that back. He had a great resource to pull it back. And he came back after two days, and doggone if he didn't win a silver. Yes. And then the next one, he won a gold. Now, this was with a body that physically wasn't prepared to do that. Yes. But he was able to control his mind, control his thinking, get his body to perform. We see the same thing happen with uh, Captain Scully, who, when his airplane crashed in the right. Hudson River, right? Yeah, he had yeah, been yeah. training for years in automatic processes so that when an incident happens, he could respond automatically without thinking. He was operating entirely in agreement with his subconscious mind.
5: Yes.
3: So part of the secret to performance is to develop strong habit patterns, good habit patterns for increased health, and use that... To be able to control your thinking so you get the kind of results that you, that you want out of life. I have a story about a lady named Linda. Uh huh. Um, and one of the things that you might recognize, particularly people who read the book, Okay, God, Now What, uh-huh. that you start to uncover false assumptions and masks that you put on, that you hadn't seen things before. You'd, you'd made decisions about how life works and whatnot. But as you get into the truth of the scriptures, you see things a little bit differently. Now Linda yes. lives just, uh, south of Washington, D.C. in Lorton, Virginia. Uh-huh. and she was trapped in fear and confusion. Her thyroid wasn't working, yeah. and she was in clinical depression on drugs. Whole, her whole family walked around on eggshells around her. The slightest wrong word would set her off into tears or fits of rage. You couldn't tell what she was going to do.
2: Well, I, I lost you there. She would hear a certain word, and then she would...
3: Just somebody would say something or do something. It really didn't matter. You couldn't tell what it was going to be. I and It would set her off into fits of tears or into fits of rage.
2: Uh-huh. You know, yeah, was she, de- she was, was she de- was she depressed she was absolutely she was
3: clinically depressed she was yeah. on a variety yeah. of drugs
4: yeah okay yes
3: and uh, like I said the whole family walked around eggshells around her and uh, I had given her a copy of the book okay God now what and what, I was. I wouldn't have been surprised had she thrown it back but she actually took it and put it on her coffee table looked at
4: it-huh
3: and kept it there and eventually started to read it. as she started to read the first part, this is what she told me, the uh, teaching section, many of the assumptions she had made about life and God started to be replaced with Bible truth. Uh-huh. She especially liked Chapter 5 called Understanding How to Renew the Heart. She liked the scientific explanations and the practical steps she could take. Remember, that my, my focus is to understand the technology here. Uh-huh. Then Linda started doing the affirmation magnets in Section 2. It took a while, but now she is back functioning again, and a joy to be around. She now sings at the drop of a hat and is filled with smiles. Her identity has changed from victim to where she is intentionally using the affirmations and okay, God, now what, and regaining her Christ identity. And knowing with that identity, God will always be there, always help her. So she is being a Jesus woman who can make a difference. Life for Linda is still hard. A whole lot of things didn't necessarily change for her magically, but she is growing in her Christ identity knowing God would help her, and she is seeing his hand every day. And people now come to her for her to pray with them, because they start seeing more answers.
2: And uh, how long did it take for her to turn around and not have much or any depression it
3: took her for, it took her best i can tell because i wasn't you know with her somewhere around around uh, five or six months uh-huh. and she started off slowly with the uh, particularly the affirmations that are simply bible truth about what god says about about us as people uh-huh. and she first she couldn't even hardly read them i mean she would throw the book down after reading two sentences or something uh-huh. and she said it took her a month just to get through the first one and uh then as she started to grow in doing it and saw and needed how it fit together, she'd been a, you know, a good Christian woman all of her life. She started, she saw the Bible truth that was there laid out for her and very practical, so she knew how to do it. Yeah. And she says that's what caused her to get off the drugs. Her thyroid started working again. She had a marvelous recovery and freedom from depression simply by doing the program of mind control in the book, Okay God, Now What?
2: So, so the way I would uh, explain it using what you just said, um, she read the bible, she read this book that had meaning for her, and um, she s- somehow on her own aligned with being with god and uh, that was um, for her that um, she felt safer and she felt stronger, and then eventually she no longer needed drugs to get rid of the depression, the depression.
3: Right that's that's yeah. exactly for example the same thing happens to uh uh in the military when they go to boot camp yes or when uh, police go to you know we only have a few examples of how people are really yeah. in an immersion environment of mind control where they're put into a boot camp or police yeah. uh yeah. boot camp type of situation uh-huh. medical programs for doctors for example the intern program As they're going going through the residency, is kind of like this. You keep repeating same things over and over again to build it into them. What they discovered is, is that if you want a lifestyle change based on behavior modification, you need the same material repeated two to six hours a day for a minimum of ninety days before it starts becoming written into you and your lifestyle. I yes. go back to the situation I had in the company where I turned it around with those guys for six weeks, or it took six months or so before they yes. started making better decisions. Naturally, I mean, I couldn't tell them make a better decision, right? It was yes. they started doing it. Was based on that. It looks like if I only had them for five days a week, not seven days a week, it doubled the amount of time to start seeing the benefits of a positive, success-oriented environment that could produce results in them. Yes, and this so- is consistent with the kinds of facts that top coaches for sports performers will tell you that uh, uh, it takes this kind of effort, particularly not only of the the physical skills and the mental skills for the sport, but continually renewing the mind with with affirmations. And part of them would be very biblical, a lot of them, but it takes about three to six months before they become natural and automatic in what they do. Yes. And so that's the same um, kind of thing for what they have (laughs) discovered. And what happens in that process is two things. Number one is as you start to do the like the affirmation magnets and okay God now what which are all solid biblical truth, you know, simple statements like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or he who is in Christ is a new creature. And now, except you change that to, I am a now in Christ, and I'm a new creature, and God is with me and for me. And so that as you make those kinds of affirmations that we, we've organized there, number one, you recognize they're the Bible, so they scriptural truth. There's a lot of veracity and authenticity from that. Uh-huh. Number two, the repetition puts it into your subconscious mind. And it takes repetition to access your subconscious mind. So that what happens is, once it gets written on your heart, it becomes automatic behaviors, and you don't think about it anymore. Yes. And so that what, that's what she had done with the program, and she had replaced her previous programming that got her into the depressed state. You know, one of the definitions of, of depression is you keep cycling the same negative thoughts over and over and over and over again. So part of the secret is to be replacement What she did was, and the book works, the way it works is you start picking a time of day where you do that, make that a habit pattern. And then during the day, you start building them. And as you build them in your subconscious mind, they come out all through the day with better responses to the situations in life around you.
2: Yes, and then also uh if they have uh, enough minutes or hours per day being around like-minded people who want to be healthy, they're more likely to be healthy.
3: Well, that it, it's helpful but not necessary. Yeah. If you continue the program of two to six hours a day, even as your lifestyle, you know, you can start 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at lunch, 15 minutes at coffee break, work your way through the day, continue with the strong same material repetition. Uh You'll build that into your subconscious, and over time, it will come out anyway. Uh And, you know, you'll be able to make a positive impact on the people around you, whatever the environment is. Yes. So So being around supportive people Actually doesn't change the biology and the chemistry of what's going on in the brain. It allows to have more things going on, right? But the the duration of, the secret of this is, is that it's that two to six hours a day for 90 days minimum. That's been one of the things that we've recently discovered in the biology of the brain, how that works, how it forms neurons. Or how it, more importantly, if you have leaky neurons based on negative thoughts, fear, anxiety, stress type thoughts, as they get replaced with more positive approaches, those leaky neurons heal, and the cell wall structure goes from being porous back to solid and tight.
2: Yeah. So um, with your family, your wife and your kids, Mm -hmm. do you use the same kind of uh, style with them to help them with their issues and to feel good about themselves and I,
3: I don't spend too much time making people feel good about themselves. They can do that for themselves. That's, well, that's, that's okay. my, what I do is show them love, respect, and honor.
2: Yeah, but when you're showing them love, respect, and honor, you're, they're also feeling love towards you because you're doing that for them.
3: Oh, yes, but I've been in enough environments where you talked about a supportive environment.
2: Yeah.
4: I've
3: been a lot of I'm a troubleshooter coming into an organization where it's highly dysfunctional,
4: yeah.
3: where nobody loved anybody, but I treat them lovingly anyway. And over time, it works.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm sorry about the phone ringing next to my desk here.
3: So um, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to mention one more thing, which was okay. that for those who uh, – the publisher has the, the website, OKGodNowWhat.com.
5: Uh-huh.
4: I have
3: on there a list of top ten affirmations that they can get. Oh, good that uh they can order download from the internet and get them started on renewing their mind with this positive thought process uh-huh. and for most of us it takes a while to work your way into that kind of habit pattern but over time you keep working at it you'll get there
2: yes okay so if we fast forward to your very current uh job what are you doing now and how does mind control fit into there of
3: course the my first level is I'm a uh, I run a consulting company and we go into businesses, and we look at the issues right there, and sometimes you can walk in there and absolutely be overwhelmed. I mean, yes. the situations and the economic environment you're in, you could spend all your time convincing yourself this will never work. Yes. Okay, or you can replace those thoughts. Again, yes. I've been doing this yeah. for a long time now, so my thought okay. process is automatically – the minute I start feeling negative, I start going, wait a minute now. All right. I thrive okay. on chaos, confusion, and hostility. I'm here okay. to make the world a better place, Good. and this is a great day.
2: Okay. On that note, we're going to say goodbye. I'm so glad you were on my show today, and hopefully people will listen to the show more than once, perhaps, and they can call you or get in touch with you with your book or your website. The website is okgodnowwhat.com. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank um, you.
3: It's been a pleasure being with you. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot.
2: Me too. Okay, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And to my listeners, goodbye for now, and enjoy your human behavior. Have good trips and I'll talk to you in the near future. Over and out.
1: Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior.